You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Between President Donald Trump's tweets, the Robert Mueller investigation into Russian meddling and partisan bickering over a whole host of issues in Congress, it's hard to imagine any work gets done in Washington. And yet lawmakers can and are Working on policy, Senator Debbie Stabenow is in Detroit today to unveil new legislation in an attempt to lower the cost of prescription drugs. She says Americans pay by far the highest prices in the world for medication. Just yesterday, the pharmaceutical industry released a major campaign to place the blame for the cost of drugs at the feet of the insurance industry. So who is to blame and what is the solution? Joining us now to talk about that is... Senator Debbie Stabenow from right here in Michigan. Senator, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. It's great to be with you. Yes, always great to hear your voice. Uh, Talk to us a little more about this legislation that you are here today to unveil. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I start from the premise that health care is a basic human right, and everybody should be able to afford medications they need. This is the, the fastest driver, the highest cost driver in healthcare today is the rising cost of prescription drugs. They just keep going up and up and up. The drug companies view uh, prescription drugs as a commodity Mm -hmm. and that they should be priced at whatever the market will bear. So that's the difference. And AARP tells us that uh, since 2008, we've seen over 200% increase in prescription drugs. And all you have to do is talk to, you know, either you've experienced it or somebody in your family. So, So what is happening? Well, they have the most lobbyists, the pharmaceutical and health products industries, most lobbyists of any lobbyists, and that's saying a lot in D.C., and um, instead of working with us to bring competition and accountability, bring prices down, uh, they block all those things. And instead, of course, they were huge lobbyists for the big tax giveaway. And, in fact, Big Pharma just spent $50 billion giving stock buybacks so their CEOs and big investors could uh, put, put more money in their pockets instead of lowering prices. So yeah. here's, here's what I'm doing. I've got three bills, and the first one is a bipartisan bill that deals with something that pharmacists brought to me that I didn't know. Right now, uh, the companies will often tell the pharmacists they're not allowed to let somebody know when you come in to get your pick up your prescription that you could actually pay less if you paid out of pocket rather than using your insurance. So if you had, let's say, a $20 copay or a $50 copay, but you could pay $5 if you just paid cash, they can't tell you that. It's called a gag clause. And so, of course, that's ridiculous, and pharmacists are very frustrated. And so this bill, knowing the lowest price uh, act, would say you can't do that, that we have the right to know the best price for us. Right. The second thing is that um, for a long time we've known Medicare has been blocked from negotiating the best price. They, they're a large purchaser under Medicare Part D. Drug companies, again, when Part D passed, most lobbyists were able to put language in that actually stops negotiation to bring prices down. So. I've got a bill to repeal that clause so they can negotiate on behalf of people. And then thirdly, we also know that when you look out at the bridge or the tunnel, that you can drive across to Windsor, mm-hmm. if the same drug, FDA approved, safe, 
that you can oftentimes get for 40 or 50 percent less. So I've been pushing on that for years to allow uh, the reimportation of prescription drugs. Finally, because of my, my pushing and others, the FDA now will allow someone to bring personally up to 90 days of a prescription drug back across into the U.S. But if the pharmacist want to do business with pharmacies uh, on the other side of the bridge, it's illegal. We, we bring everything across the bridge. <laughs> you know, everything is, tr- is about trade and open trade and so on. Only thing that's blocked is medicine that is sold in Canada for 40 or 50 percent less. Same drug, yeah. safe. So the third bill would allow that to happen. Yeah. Uh, and talk then about the context in which uh, you're introducing this this kind of legislation. I mean, as I said in the open, uh, there's a lot going on in Washington, and there's a lot that would distract lawmakers from lawmaking, right? Uh, you could spend <clears throat> right. all day obsessing about right. what is going on over in the White House, for instance, or whether the Mueller investigation is going to yield anything. Uh, talk about the likelihood of bills like these getting proper attention in this context. Well, there's no question there's other issues. I mean, the issues you've raised, some of which are, are very, very serious issues. But what I've seen is that if we are focused, we can lean in and make a difference. When uh, the Trump administration wanted to zero out all the funding for the Great Lakes, we leaned in, we put together a bipartisan group, people in Michigan got engaged, and we were able to protect every dime mm-hmm. of that important money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are now seeing young people speaking out because of concerns about just are they going to be safe at school. And we're, and even though they're going up very big against very big money, very big, big lobbyists, we're already around the edges seeing little things happening to uh, to make a difference. I know that, uh, and I work with AARP. I work with all of those who are advocates on health care, that if we all organize together and say, this enough is enough. You know, medicine is about saving lives. It's about having a healthy life. This is not just any other commodity that can go to the highest bidder. Uh, this has got to be about medicine and our basic rights to have access to it at an affordable price. So if we all lean in, um, we can change this. It, there's no question it's hard. There's yeah. no question. Again, Biggest lobbyists, most lobbyists, most highly paid uh, are the prescription drug <laughs> yes, in, uh, industry. No question about that. But I also know that if people engage, you know, we're at a point in time uh, where we can push back and make a difference. And we've got pharmacists with us. We've got others. When I talk to um, our hospitals and so on, you know, they, they say the largest cost for them that goes up and up and up is cost of medicine, cost of prescription drugs. So if everybody joins together, uh, we can push back and be successful. Right. Uh, Quickly, before I have to let you go, Senator, the next conversation we're going to have is about the number of lawmakers who are just deciding that uh, they've had it, that that, uh, the rancor there, that the difficulty of getting things done, that the anger that they experience from constituents, it's just just too much. Um, I'm curious... What you see from from your seat, you are running for re-election uh, this year, another another six-year term. Uh, what do you think of the colleagues of yours who who say that it it's just not worth doing anymore? 
Well, I, I appreciate and understand and respect their decisions. I have to say I take a different view, you know. I'm pretty stubborn. I, I you know, I want to make things better. I, you know, I don't have red hair for nothing. And, uh, uh, you know, all my kids and now five little grandkids are in Michigan. I care deeply about the quality of life and jobs and schools and being able to drink the water and swim in the lakes and all those things. And, you know, I just stood up every day and I go in and fight for Michigan. And I, I feel like I feel even more of a sense of purpose than before because, I think we have incredibly serious issues and, and some very fundamental issues about who we are as a country. What are our values? What are we going to accept and not accept sure. uh, and uh, in terms of behavior and treatment of other people? And, but it just makes me feel uh, that, that uh, I want to be a part of turning this around. Yeah. Okay. Senator Debbie Stabenow, Democrat from here in Michigan. As always, thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Here to talk more now about the mass exodus from Congress is Russell Berman. He's a staff writer from The Atlantic. He covers politics there. Berman recently wrote an article for his 2018 congressional retirement tracker. He writes, if you want to see a political wave forming a year before an election, watch the retirements. They're often a leading indicator for which direction a party is headed. And so far, 2018 is shaping up ominously for Republicans who will be defending twice as many open seats this fall as Democrats. Russell Berman, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be with you. Yeah. So so what is driving these retirements? And and uh, when we say retirements, in, in a lot of cases, we're talking about people who are long before, who are younger or much younger than than lawmakers we would think of as being retirement age. And on their way out the door, a lot of them are saying, you know, it's the climate here. It is the difficulty with the climate here. I'm being pushed out the door by by that. What is it that they are talking about when they say that? Well, it's a combination of factors. I think one of them that you're touching on and that you touched on with Senator Stabenow is the difficulty of getting things done. You're seeing uh, members of Congress, we even saw this a couple of years ago, uh, heading into 2016, who had only been in, in Congress for a few terms and decided, you know what, this isn't working. We're not, you know, it's not what I thought it would be. I wasn't a politician before, and this, in my experience here, confirms my desire not to be a, a politician again. Mm-hmm. So you see some of that. But this year, a lot of it, of course, has to do with the political climate, especially for Republicans. And, and you know, there's been so much talk about how this is shaping up to be a, a very strong year for Democrats. And so a lot of Republicans who, you know, they're, they're deciding, well, how much longer do I want to stay here? This year is going to be a tough reelection. Maybe, maybe this is the year to get out rather than having to, you know, spend all my time raising money for a tough race and getting voted out anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's uh, probably the principal factor um, atop of just the general, uh, you know, unpopularity of being in Congress at the moment. And, and uh, we should put this in some historical context, I guess. Every president uh, f- for the last, I don't know, I don't know what the number is, but but certainly every modern presidency has lost an ad- the advantage that they had in Congress at the at the first midterm, right? I mean, it's just sort of That's the way correct. things work. Uh, at the same time, presidents work really hard generally to try to mitigate those losses. They try to make sure that the, that they don't lose control. Uh, they try to make sure that they don't do damage to the potential for legislation they want to get passed after the midterms. 
I feel like the difference this time is not in the specter of uh, a diminished Republican uh, presence in in Washington after the midterms because that's normal. It's in the it's in the the way in which the president is acting on that process, maybe inadvertently, but that he is driving the losses. Right. Um, you see a, a, a number of these retiring Republicans who are talking about just how difficult, how stressful it is to have to be associated and asked about the president's uh, actions, tweets, thoughts, uh, um, you know, every day, whether it's in Capitol Hill or whether it's in town hall meetings back home. Uh, the, the latest retirement was uh, re uh, Representative Ryan Costello in Pennsylvania, and he was pretty candid in saying that was a factor in his decision, uh, you know, sort of dreading having to go home and, and, and answer for Stormy Daniels and, and, you know, whatever the latest uh, sort of scandal surrounding uh, President Trump is. And so certainly his unconventional uh, to put it lightly, uh, style has, you know, weared on Republicans. They're just sort of t uh, tired of it, um, and it's making their reelection fights harder. And so that's why you're seeing some of them uh, just opt opt out. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Russell Berman. He's a staff writer who covers politics for The Atlantic. I uh, recently wrote an article for his 2018 Congressional Retirement Tracker, and he writes that if you want to see a political wave forming a year before an election, watch the retirements. We are talking about the number of people, particularly on the Republican side in Congress, who have decided to say, eh, that's enough. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't think it's worth running for re-election. We've seen our own Dave Trott, uh, who represents the 11th District here in Michigan, make that choice. Uh, several other folks who we are familiar with have made similar choices in the recent past. What do you think of the idea of people just stepping away from Congress because they think it's too difficult to get things done or because they don't like the political climate? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation here. Uh, Russell, I want to ask you about the, the, the climate in Congress right now and if, among the people who are staying, for instance. Uh, what do they think is the prospect for post-midterm being able to, to get some, some traction, I guess, on, on important issues? Uh, I'm also curious about rumors still that Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, might be one of the people who who steps away. I mean, that sort of suggests the depth of uh, discontent there and and anxiety about about what's next. Right. Well, on the on the first question, I, I don't think there's been a, a ton of talk about that yet because you know you look at the prospect that Democrats could take back the House mm -hmm. and they could go in in one of two directions or in or in both directions. They could pursue impeachment and and sort of pursue. Uh, uh, whatever Robert Mueller comes up with, and that could be sort of dominating the climate in Washington from day one of their new House majority. And so that could sort of, you know, push any major attempt at, at bipartisan legislation aside. Um, or they could put that off, or they could maybe hold hearings, and that might take a while. And you, you might see something like uh, infrastructure. That, that's sort of a key 
um, area of commonality between uh, the president and uh, congressional Democrats. Obviously, they want him to spend a lot more money than he's proposed for that. Mm -hmm. But that, I would say that issue is one that you might see um, come up pretty early because it doesn't look like Congress is going to act a whole lot on that now. Um, as for Speaker Paul Ryan, you know, there has been a lot of talk about his future. And, and he's kind of fed that talk because he hasn't actually announced he's running for re-election yet, just for his House seat in Wisconsin. He uh -huh. said he has to talk about it with his wife. And, you know, until he does that, there's certainly going to be a lot of speculation um, about, his, uh, about his future. Um, and, and, of course, it all depends on, on what the outcome of the election is. I think everybody uh, expects that if Republicans lose the majority – uh, Paul Ryan would probably step aside. They don't see him as a minority leader right. um, necessarily. Um, and if they have a very slim majority, it might be difficult for him to get the votes to be speaker again. So there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Russell Berman, staff writer who covers politics at The Atlantic. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for us today on Detroit Today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. The program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And the associate producers are Gus Navarro and Ziad Butch. The Detroit Today theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.